all you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going down, my Cosmic Crusaders? It is I, Kyle, your interstellar guy, and you are now tuned into the most epic Star Wars show on the web, Star Wars Audio Archives. So buckle up, because today's journey takes us on a wild ride through the fourth part of Light as a Jedi. Hold on to your helmets, because we're not just exploring space, we're diving into an awesome story and the hidden legends of the High Republic. Think of it like uncovering a secret map of the Lost Jedi Temple or decoding an ancient Sith artifact. Every revelation is a new piece of the galactic puzzle, and we're stepping into the boots of the unsung heroes of the galaxy. From the daring pilots navigating asteroid belts to the wise scholar decoding cryptic texts in the Jedi archives. Their stories are as vital as they are thrilling. Expect unexpected allies, cunning villains, and maybe even a few surprises from familiar faces. So prepare your blasters and ignite your lightsabers. As Anakin Skywalker once said, this is where the fun begins, so let's get to it. Petzal system. Above the fruited moon. 20 minutes to impact. Three Jedi vectors flew in formation above and to either side of the Republic Longbeam, piloted by Joss and Pekka Adrian. Tayami to the larger ship's right. Mikhail Sutamani to its left, and Nib Asik and Briaga above. They had accelerated to the limits of their ship's capabilities, chasing the speeding projectile due to impact the fruited moon in a matter of minutes, killing billions. Those on the moon, as well as the people aboard the anomaly. They had closed a great deal of distance, burning almost all of their fuel in the process, but were now within striking range of the object. Their sensors had finally identified it as a modular passenger compartment. The sort of thing snapped into cargo ship frameworks to temporarily allow them to transport travelers. Largely self-sufficient, with dedicated life support systems and onboard batteries, even individual hyperspace field emitters linked to the mothership's navigation and propulsion. At the moment, it was functioning almost like a large escape pod though without engines, unable to direct or slow itself. While that explained how it could have people aboard, it did not clarify how it had suddenly appeared in the Hetzal system from hyperspace with no warning. Teami had her suspicions. She visualized a ship traveling through hyperspace, a cargo vessel, with compartments dedicated to all sorts of cargo, raw materials, fuel, and passengers, probably settlers, bound for new lives on the barely inhabited Outer Rim worlds. Something happens to that ship in the hyperlane, and it cracks apart. All of those bits and pieces reappear from hyperspace at once, and that event has the bad luck to occur at the transit point just outside Hetzal. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Most of the wreckage would be inert. Just chunks of metal. 
But some, if properly shielded, could be those passenger compartments. The people inside still alive, but with no way to stop their tumbling flight through space. Filled with the fear and panic Uriaga had sensed, waiting to die. Waiting for help that would not come. But help had arrived, despite everything. The Jedi and the Republic were here, and they would save the lives of every last one of those people, and everyone on the Fruited Moon, too. Now, Teami said. The command transmitted simultaneously to Nib, Mikkel, and Buriaga, as well as Joss and his co-pilot Pika. It was time for everyone to do their part. The Jedi had discussed their approach, but only briefly. Their task was, on the face of it, simple. They reached out with the Force, touched the passenger compartment on all sides, embraced it in all the power and energy they could command, and understood its nature as best they could. Every surface, every beam, strut, and cable, and most important, the lives inside it, the beings they were trying to save. They looped the Force around the speeding fragment. Teami had once seen a rodeo on a world called Chandar's Folly. The point was to subdue enraged animals using only long lengths of rope or cable. The brave fools who participated looped the lassos around each creature's neck, leaping on its back and riding it until either they were thrown free or the beast eventually calmed. Mostly the would-be riders were tossed four or five meters into the air before crashing to the dirt. Sometimes the landing was hard, sometimes soft. This was like that. They were lassoing the passenger compartment with the Force, but the chances of a soft landing seemed unlikely. The Jedi closed their loops around the racing chunk of wreckage and pulled back. Teami's breath left her with a whoosh, her lungs emptying. Nothing had changed about her physical location. She was still seated in the cockpit of her vector, speeding at the same velocity she had a moment before. But it didn't feel that way. It felt like she had been yanked out into open space and was being dragged along, utterly out of control. It seemed impossible that anything the four Jedi could do would influence the speed of this thing in any way. But they had to try. Joss Adrian had been clear. Even a 1% change could be significant. Slow it down, she managed, speaking through gritted teeth. She could feel oil gathering in the sacks along her ribs, her body's involuntary response to great strain. The acrid stink of the stuff filled her cockpit, an evolutionary throwback and defense mechanism from the days when the Duros were liable to be eaten by any number of things prowling their world. Trying! Mikkel spat back, strain in his natural voice slipping past the translator's efforts to subdue it. Teami wondered how Ithorians responded to stress. Probably not by producing large amounts of horrible-tasting oil. Captain Adrian, Teami said. We've done what we can. If you're going to do something, now is the moment. Acknowledge, Master Jedi, Joss replied. He sounded tense too, 
Remember, if you could try to hold the module together once we lock on, it'd be appreciated. This might get a little bumpy. We'll do our best. All right. Firing mag clamps in three, two... Four metal discs shot out into space ahead of their formation, angling toward the passenger compartment. The thing was venting vapor from either a coolant or a life support system, creating a thick fog into which the discs vanished. Thick, silvery lines unspooled. The cabling attached to the long beam's winches, with which they would attempt to slow the wreckage down. Three of the lines went taut, the other looping and coiling in space. We hit it with three out of four. As good as we can hope. We're gonna apply reverse thrusters. Get ready! Through the force, Teami could feel new strains and stressors on the system. All its complex linkages and connections. Long beam to wreckage, force to Jedi, wreckage to force, and now a new note of confusion from the poor survivors inside the compartment who must have heard the thumps as the clamps engaged, probably sounding like kicks from a giant with no idea what was about to happen to them. Honestly, Teami didn't know either. The long beam activated its thrusters and dropped out of formation. The long, thick cabling stretching, growing thin, then impossibly thin, then vanishing to the naked eye. Captain Adrian had told her this would happen. The silk that composed the cables was able to stretch almost to the molecular level and retain its strength. The cables were holding. The compartment to which they were attached? Perhaps not so much. It's going to break apart, Nibasik said. Brianna whined mournfully in the background. No, it won't, Mikkel grunted. We won't let it. Just hold it together. Stop talking and do it, Teami said. The overstressed box of metal, plastoid, and wiring did not want to continue to exist in its current form. It had been through too much and knew it. It wanted to disintegrate, escape from the weight and heat, and become a swarm of much tinier bits, all free to head off on their own trajectories. If not for the Jedi, it would have done exactly that. They used the Force to keep the container in one piece. The loops of resistance they had used to slow it, now used to maintain its integrity. It didn't seem like it would work. It was too much all at once. On top of everything else, the exhausted Jedi had to keep their vectors flying at top speed. Close enough to the passenger compartment that they could maintain their links. And in the back of their minds, distraction. As some new crisis burgeoned elsewhere in the system. An increasing sense of alarm swelling along Avar Chris's network. <sighs> but they had no time for that. They had their own crisis right here. The wreckage ahead of them shifted, like a pile of stones about to tumble after one is removed. And Teami opened her mouth and groaned, a sound of intense strain, as physical as internal. She could still feel the compartment pulling on her. And now she knew that if she let go, if she released her hold even a little, 
Her vector could be torn apart around her. Now, it wasn't just the lives of the people aboard the compartment, or even on the moon. Now so close, she could see its disk looming in space, growing larger every second. Teami stopped thinking about any of those things. She closed her eyes and let the Force guide her. For long seconds, nothing but chaos, strain, stress, and then a lessening. The slightest release in tension, but it made everything simpler. As Captain Adrian had said, even a 1% reduction was meaningful. Then one became two, and more. And the objects working against one another became a single system. The compartment slowed. More and more, until it came to a slow stop. The long beam reeling in on its cables. Whoa! came Captain Adrian's voice over the comm. I really didn't think that would work! You certainly waited long enough to tell us, came Mikkel's reply. Even through his translator, he sounded utterly exhausted. Almost out of fuel, said Joss, ignoring the remark. Couple more seconds and we'd have had to shut off our thrusters. <laughs> we couldn't have done that alone. Thank you, Jedi! We couldn't have done it by ourselves either, Teami said. And the idea was yours. Whether you thought it would work or not, it did. Pika Adrian spoke. We can suit up and go over there, see if there's some way to extract the passengers. If not, we can tow it to a station, dock it there. At the very least, we can get them some medical attention. I'm sure they're banged up. All right. Teyami replied. Thank you. You'll pass along how we achieve this. I'm sure other rescue teams will find the information useful. She maneuvered her vector up and alongside the passenger compartment, moving close. The module had portholes along its length, and in them, she could see faces. Beings of all types, all ages, all alive. She sensed their fear beginning to lessen. Replaced with a huge flash of alarm shot through the system-wide net of awareness being maintained by Avar Chris. Again, no words. But if the sensation could be translated, it would be just these words. Jedi, you are needed. Now. Something was very, very wrong. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Solar Array 22X. Ten minutes to impact. The station heaved, throwing Captain Bright off his feet and into a wall. He hit hard, barely catching himself on a stanchion before an impact that would surely have cracked his skull. 
the pill droid floating just a few meters ahead of him in the burning corridor didn't seem to notice the jolt at all. But then it wasn't in contact with the deck. It was floating, serene as ever. Its stretcher attachment unfolded from its carapace, currently occupied by an unconscious tiny Anzellan. Purple drops of blood leaving a trail behind the droid. They weren't far from the Aurora 9, and the Anzellan made seven rescued crew members from the solar array. The full complement. The job was done, and so far they'd all survived. Miracle of miracles. It was just a matter of whether they could get far enough away from the station before it blew. Which was imminent, as the series of increasingly urgent messages he'd received from the engineering deck suggested. Bright lifted his comm link. Petty Officer Inamin, he growled. What in blazes was that? I thought you told me you could keep this station stabilized. What I told you, Captain, is that I explicitly could not do that. Inamin replied, his voice wavering between annoyance and utter panic. The reactor will blow. There is nothing I can do about it. We just need to be gone when it does. All right, Bright said. I have the last crew member. We'll be at the long beam in about 30 seconds. Get up here and we'll decouple and get gone. The pill droid had reached the airlock where Ensign Peoples was waiting. He had been tasked with stabilizing the other injured crew members of the solar array and the Aurora 9's medical bay. His needle-like snout buzzed as he saw the Anzellan. Um, he cooed. Ooh, the cute little baby. Peoples picked up the injured crew member and cuddled him against his chest. The pill droid stretcher attached snapped together and refolded itself in some ingenious way before disappearing back inside its carapace. Blasted peoples, that's not a baby. Get him to the medical bay and make sure everyone's strapped in and ready to go. We need to fly, and it might get rough. Peoples blinked his eyes, all 19 of them, and Bright's tentacles told him the ensign was frustrated, presumably at his fun being ruined. But he turned, taking the Anzellan with him. Then he turned back. By the by, an order came through from the Third Horizon, people said. Full system evac. All rescue efforts are supposed to end, and all vessels are to head to hyperspace access zones and leave Hetzal immediately. They say why? Lot of people gonna get left behind. People shrugged, or performed the odd spasm that passed for a shrug with him, and walked away, crooning to the unconscious little being in his arms. Another rumble from the station, and a blast of flame rushed down the corridor. Bright barely registered what was happening, before the pill droid moved with a speed belying its unusual languid grace. It inserted itself between the inferno and Bright. One side panel opened, and a nozzle emerged. Suppressor foam shot from it, intersecting with the flames and knocking them down. And only the merest wash of heat reached Bright. He released the breath he'd been holding, then drew in another, realizing how close he'd just come to being cooked alive. He patted the top of the pill droid's cylinder. Thanks, pal, he said. The pill droid emitted two short beeps. Bright couldn't understand binary without a translator, 
but he took the sound to convey a sort of just-doing-my-job-sir type of stoicism, which he liked. He lifted his comm link again. Edelman! Where the hell are you? If you don't get up here, I'll leave you behind! About that, came the reply. No longer annoyed, no longer panicked, just resigned. That, Wright did not like. What's the problem, Petty Officer? I can't leave. I have to run a sequence on the reactor's control console, injecting coolant every few seconds. And if I stop, it'll blow right away. I was trying to set up some sort of automation, but the processors are damaged. I... His voice cracked. No. We'll get you out, Bright said. I'll bring the pill droid. We can show it the sequence. It'll run it for us while we get out and away. Captain, you should go. Coming down to save me will take time, and... Shut up, Inaman, Bright said. He gestured at the pill droid's ocular sensor, giving it the command to follow. And then he started sprinting toward the nearest set of deck ladders. He made his way down the decks as quickly as he could, finally arriving at the reactor level. Inaman looked up, his face covered with sweat, so relieved he looked like he was going to faint. Hold it together, Bright said to the junior officer. The station shook again, and it didn't stop. We have no time, Inaman said. Clearly, Bright said. Show the droid the sequence. It has to happen when this gauge goes into red, Inaman said. A scenario conveniently happening at exactly that moment. He tapped a quick run of five button presses on the console, and the gauge slipped back a few notches. Not to green, but to orange. And that would have to do. The sequence was not complicated. Bright got the order just from seeing it once. Evidently, the droid had it memorized, too. It moved forward, taking Inaman's place at the console, waiting for the next opportunity to enter the commands. Go! Right now! Bright told the subordinate. Get to the long beam! Aren't you coming? I want to make sure the droid can do this, he said. Just go! Help peoples! The light only knows what he's doing up there. Thank you, Captain. It... It means a lot. We are all through a public, Bright said. Inaman nodded and ran off out of the reactor chamber toward the nearest deck ladder. All right, you beautiful machine, Bright said, turning back to the pill droid. Show me you understood. The gauge slipped into the red, and the pill droid moved fast and sure, tapping the five buttons. The gauge fell back, less than it had the previous time, Bright noticed, and the station seemed just a bit less likely to shake itself apart. Okay, it's all yours, Bright said. I gotta run. It's been wonderful working with you. This time the droid did not respond, which Bright decided to take as a sort of resigned agreement. He turned and raced out of the room, following the path Inaman had taken. He reached the ladder and put his boot on the first rung. This will work, he thought. More wish than belief. And then he sensed it. Or rather, his tentacles did, with their ability to pull out pheromones from even the most polluted environment. 
There was another being here. Someone alive. Alive and hurt, if his receptors didn't steer him wrong. Bright followed the scent trail. And there, behind the panel, was a twilight male. Heavy, bruised, bleeding, and unconscious. He was dressed in the uniform of the station. And Bright didn't know if Inaman hadn't thoroughly searched this deck because he was distracted by the damaged reactor, or because the injured man was mostly hidden, or... Ugh, well, it didn't matter, did it? Just to see, Bright crouched down and attempted to lift the twilight. His muscles strained, but the unconscious man was dead weight. He barely moved. No, he thought. No way. Bright gave himself a moment, just one, to think about his life. The things he'd done, and the things he thought he might do. He thought about the Republic, and what it meant, and his own oaths to serve it and all its people. And then, he ran back to the reactor. I've got this, he said, pushing the pill droid out of the way and taking its position at the control console. He pointed his thumb back over his shoulder. You've got a patient. About nine meters past the deck ladder. Get him back to the ship. Now! The droid rotated, swishing quickly away. Bright tapped in the command sequence, and the gauge slipped back a little, but less than it had the last time. He spoke into his comlink. Inaman, he said. You make it? Yes, Captain. But where are you? You were supposed to be right behind me. Change in plans, Wright said. I'm sending the pill droid up with one more evacuee. But we already got all seven crew members. Guess there were eight, Wright said. But the reactor... Inman said, trailing off. Wright could almost hear the kid's mind working, coming to understand the reality of what was about to happen. Take off the minute you have the droid aboard. Don't wait. Get out of the system's gravity wells and jump away. Rendezvous with the Third Horizon if you can. If not, get back to Coruscant. It seems like things are falling apart all over the system, not just here. The Captain! Maybe... No! Look! I've been easy on you as long as we've flown together, Inamin. The insubordination, the joking around... Life's too short, and the ship's too small, I always figured. But all that ends now. Life is short, Petty Officer. Pretty damn short indeed. I gave you an order, and if you do not follow it, I will see you court-martialed. A long silence from the calm. They both knew how empty that threat was. Not the point. At last, Inaman spoke, his voice subdued. I can see the droid. It has the crewman. A Twi'lek? That's right. Bright entered the sequence again. The gauge slipped back. A little less. The tremors on the station had risen to the level of a seismic event. The array was tearing itself apart. Go, Inaman! We've already undocked, Captain. Reversing thrusters now. Getting to minimum safe distance. Shouldn't be a the gauge was in the red again. Bright entered the sequence. This time the needle didn't move. 
just stayed in the red. Right side. Captain, we're away. We are all the Republic. Damn right. Right side. We are all the... Heat and light. And nothing more. That's all prime. The third horizon. Four minutes to impact. Master Jedi, are you certain this is the correct choice? Admiral Kronara asks. Avar Chris could sense his concern. He was a good commander. And although she was not technically part of his crew, she knew he felt responsible for her safety. Especially considering that if he did what she was asking him to do, he was probably condemning her to death. I'm certain, Admiral, she said. We've loaded as many refugees as we can hold, and more besides. She glanced around the hangar. It was true. The room alone held hundreds of beings, with nothing other than the clothes on their backs. No one had been allowed to bring anything else. Every bit of available space on the huge cruiser had been allocated towards saving lives. And even then, people were still trapped on the planet's surface. Admiral Kunara and his crew had done their best. But the Third Horizon was just a machine. And there was a point where taking on additional mass would mean the ship could not take off. And no one would be saved at all. These people are afraid, Avar said. I can sense it. You need to get them to safety. But if you fail, you will die, Kronara said, making one last attempt. I know that, Admiral. But there are billions of people down there who couldn't find a way off Hetzal Prime. Here, she pointed at the open sky, visible outside the hangar's exit ramp. The ship was a hundred meters up, stationary above the cropland outside Aguirre City having left the spaceport after taking on as many refugees as it could. If I don't try this, Avar continued, they will definitely die. Every last one. But can you actually save them? I've never heard of anything like this being possible, even with the Jedi. Avar smiled at him. All things are possible through the Force, she said. Now take the Third Horizon and go. I have work to do, and it's important that you deliver a direct report to Chancellor So about what you witnessed here. It's not enough to tell her over the comm. None of this should have happened. There's something wrong. I can sense it. Hyperspace is... sick, for lack of a better word. Of course, Master Jedi, the Admiral said. But you should deliver that report yourself. I still don't understand why you can't perform your task from open space. I don't know much about the Force, but I do know it works across great distances. And if you're safe on the ship, at least you'll have a way to escape if... Avar Chris believed that the best way to win arguments was simply not to have them. She sprinted down the exit ramp and leapt out into the open air. The ship was hovering above a field of some blue grain she was not familiar with. All she knew was that it was absolutely gorgeous. She used the force to slow herself, somersaulted, 
then landed lightly on plowed soil between two neat rows of the stuff. The third horizon was already just a dwindling speck in the sky by the time she looked back up. Admiral Cronara had accepted defeat and was wasting no time leaving the system. That was good. They had very little. Focus, she told herself. Time truly was short, and the task to be accomplished here was all but impossible. A tank of supercooled liquid tabana, as large as a decent-sized starship by itself, was headed directly toward one of the Hetzal system's three suns, an R-class star. When it hit, the volatile nature of the substance, combined with the intense heat of the star and its unique nitrogen-heavy composition, would cause a rapid chain reaction that would result in the sun surging outward, flaring up to nearly double its size putting out radiation that would cook the entire system in a matter of moments. The Hetzal system, in not much time at all, would cease to exist. Unless the Force willed it otherwise, and used its instruments, the Jedi, to prevent it. Cronara wouldn't ever understand why it was so important for her to stay on the planet. He couldn't touch the Force. Avar needed to be on the surface of Hetzal Prime, because the world was a planet of life. Now, the Force was everywhere, of course, even in the deepest, coldest reaches of space. She could always hear its song, but here, standing in this field, surrounded by growing things that had been tended with love and care by the farmers of this world, the song was loud loud and sweet. Here, she did not have to spend any extra time or energy seeking a deep connection to the Force. It was all around her. Avar Chris lifted her comlink. She set it to broadcast only, knowing that what she was about to say would bring questions from many of the other Jedi in the system, some of whom outranked her. Joromali was a member of the Jedi Council, and even if she was planning to step down in order to take up her post on the Starlight Beacon, she hadn't left the Council yet. Technically, she could order Avar to stop what she was doing. Not that she would do that. Probably. But why take a chance? She thought about Elzar Mam, who did things like this all the time. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission was basically his entire credo. He'll love this, she thought, and spoke. My Jedi friends, this is Avar Chris. I'm on the surface of Hetzal Prime. You know I've been watching you all work so hard to save this system and its people. You've done incredibly well. But something else is about to happen. Something terrible. And we all need to act together to stop it. One of the hyperspace anomalies is headed directly for the system's largest sun, and it is a container of liquid tabana. I'm told that when it hits, a rare chain reaction will result that will destroy everything in this system. It is up to us to move the container to a new path. We will ask the Force to come to our aid, 
It might not be possible. And anyone who stays runs the risk of dying if we fail. The Third Horizon is about to transit the system. Anyone who wants to leave can dock with it. My good wishes will go with you. Avar waited. Though she had silenced her comlink to replies, the song of the system told her that no vectors had altered course toward the rapidly accelerating Third Horizon. They had all decided to stay. The Jedi were with her. Let's begin, she said. She lowered the comlink. This would not be done with words. Avar sent the concepts through the link with her fellow Jedi. Each would receive it in their own way. A series of impressions that she hoped would resonate properly with each of them. A very simple plan, really. There is a thing moving very fast. It is very large and very heavy. It needs to change direction. We will all find it together. And we will all apply the force to it together in just the same spot, in just the same way, at just the same time. And we will move it so it does not hit the sun. Simple, but enormously difficult. Space was large, and there were many Jedi. And coordinating their efforts so they did not fight against one another or cancel one another out or touch the Force at slightly different moments. Well, that was the task. No use complaining about it. Avar's lightsaber lifted from its holster, gliding up into the air through the Force. It floated up until the hilt was before her face, the cross pieces level with her eyes. The lightsaber ignited with a snap and a hiss. A bright green beam spearing straight up at the blue sky and illuminating the field of blue grain around her. The weapon began to rotate slowly, like the blade of a windmill. It made a sound as it moved through the air, a low droning hum. Avar breathed in, out, and the blade slowly sped up. The tone of its passage through the air changed. No longer a low drone, but a higher pitch. A lovely round note. The lightsaber moved faster. Its blade now too fast to see. A green circle of light with a shining metallic center. It was beautiful. But Avar closed her eyes. She did not need to see. She needed to hear. Her lightsaber was not just a weapon. Here, now, it was an instrument. The note of the blade rose, becoming a clear ringing. The normal crackling hum and whine of a lightsaber in combat, replaced by a pure, glassing tone. Her awareness was the song of the saber and she tuned the speed of its rotation until the note it produced was precisely in sync with... Yes, Ivar Chris thought. I hear it. Her mind snapped outward, the saber song chiming in harmony with the larger chorus of the Force. 
in a single instant, becoming the entire system and everything within it. And more particularly, every single Jedi, each connected to the Force in their own way. What she heard as a song, Elzar Man saw as a deep, endless, storm-tossed sea. The Wookiee Buryaga was a single leaf on a gigantic tree with deep dug roots and sky-high limbs. Douglas Sunvale saw the Force as a huge, interlocked set of gears made of an endless variety of materials, from crystal to bone. Bel Zetifar danced with fire. Loden Greatstorm danced with wind. This was not the simple network she had built earlier. This was deeper. All of the Jedi were the Force, and the Force was all of them. And she, Avar Chris, could touch them all, no matter how they saw the Force. Now, though, she had to find their target. The module of Tabana racing toward the sun. It was difficult now, with so many Jedi singing in her mind. A chorus to the Force Symphony blasting at full volume. So many people, so many beings, so much life. Every grain in the dimly sensed field around her piping like flutes. Somewhere in all of that was the module of Liquid Tabana racing toward the sun to destroy them all. It did not sing a song of its own, but that was itself something to be sensed. A silence, a cesura, a fermata of precisely the correct duration and size. There, she thought. She had it. Without a doubt, it was... gone. She'd lost it. Lost it, she said out loud. And everything wavered and almost faded away. She'd lost the anomaly and now couldn't find it again. Not within the chaos of everything else moving within the system. It was like looking at a particular flower in a wind-tossed meadow. Looking away, then looking back and trying to find the precise blossom again. Time was fracturing away. Shards of moments flying off into nothingness, never to return. She had to find it. She had to. She could not fail. It was her responsibility. No one else could... No. What had she said? We will find it together. She had a system full of Jedi working alongside her. They each had their own connection to the Force. Perhaps different from hers, but no less powerful. Avar Chris asked for help. And help came. Estala Maru found it first. Avar could see the Force through her eyes. Tomorrow, the Tabana Bomb was a single light, in a single window, in a single small building of an endlessly spiraling nighttime city. But once Estala had it, it was only a matter of pointing the other Jedi to look in that direction as well. And then, they all did. But now the task did fall to Avar. She drew her awareness back, gauging how close the bomb was to hitting the star. It would not be long. 
The heat of the sun was already causing steam to rise from the forward edge of the tank's outer shell. They had to act. There is a thing moving very fast. It is very large and very heavy. It needs to change direction. We will apply the force to it together in just the same spot, in just the same way, at just the same time. Avar Chris showed the Jedi what to do, and as one, the Jedi reached out to the Force. They did not hold themselves back. They acted with disciplined desperation, leaving nothing in reserve. We will move it. Not far from the fruited moon, Teami lost consciousness, yellow ichor streaming from her mouth. We... We'll move it. A group of five vectors flying in tight formation lost control of their drift. Too much of their focus devoted to the effort to shift the Tabana bomb. Two of the craft collided before control could be reestablished. And the three Jedi aboard those ships were lost. We will move it. Now, Avar thought, across the system... Jedi reached out to the Force. Some closed their eyes. Some lifted their arms. Some stood. Some sat meditating on the ground, while others hovered above it. Some were in starships, others on the surface. Many were alone, but others were with members of their order, or were surrounded by small groups of people who could sense, somehow, the import of what was happening even if they could not themselves touch the Force. Dozens of Jedi, acting as one. The galaxy thrummed. An invisible hand grasped the Tabana bomb in a firm grip and threw it to one side. Gentle, but precise, like tossing an egg to someone you hoped would catch it without the thing shattering all over their hands. Eivor listened. They had succeeded. They had moved the Tabana. But they had also failed. The tank had not moved far enough. It would still hit the sun. And even now, she could sense the liquid heating inside the container. Pressure building, preparing for an explosion that would presage the larger blast to come. Again, she told the Jedi, those of whom could still hear and respond. Many had fallen unconscious at the strain of the first attempt, which meant the burden on those who remained was that much greater. We have to try again! Avar could sense the weariness in the song of all her companions in her great order. These heroes, who had all stayed to save people they had never met, and probably never would. People who would never know the choice or the sacrifice being made on their behalf. None of that mattered. She felt her fellows toss aside their exhaustion, lift themselves up, renew their focus. Not only that, but she sensed that other Jedi had brought their focus to bear as well. From Coruscant, from across the galaxy, even Yoda, wherever he was with his little crew of younglings, his great, wise mind sang its own part of the chorus. Heartbreakingly beautiful. 
a voice of pure light, belying his physical appearance. Not this crude matter in the heat. Avar would not have believed such a thing was possible. But as she had told the Admiral, through the Force, there wasn't a blasted thing that couldn't be done. Her great order was with her, as she was with them, and the Force was with them all. We will move it. Another moment chosen, another great effort. We will move it. She felt the Jedi saying the words with her, each in their own way, through their own particular lens on the Force. No, not saying, chanting, singing. We will move it. More Jedi falling, mostly just collapsing where they stood or spiraling off in their vectors. Some managed to regain control, but others were lost forever. Romar Montgo, Lyo Jossi, Jedi Knight Rob Orochi tottered and fell off the tower farm on the rooted moon where he had been helping a family whose daughter had suffered a seizure in the stress of the evacuation order. The daughter was calm, her crisis over, but Ra fell twenty stories and did not recover in time to save himself. With every Jedi lost, the work became harder. Elzar Man, standing alone on a rocky promontory overlooking a farm where the new miracle drug Bacta was produced in extremely limited quantities, felt the strain. The inertia of the Tabana bomb that did not want to be moved. To Man, the Force was a bottomless sea, never-ending, in which all things swam. Brightly lit in its upper reaches, fading to darkness below, but all one great ocean. He reached out to it, letting himself race along its currents, going deeper than ever before, seeing and sensing things he had never before known. The sea never ended, and there was so much of it he hadn't seen. Strength flooded through him. His exhaustion vanishing. He added that power to that of his fellows, giving them everything he could. We will move it. And it will not hit the sun. The Tabana entered the outer photosphere of the Hetzal system's largest star. For a moment, a long moment, the song stopped. Avar Chris heard nothing but silence. The fragment burst out of the sun, only having touched its outermost layers, heated but intact, on a path that would take it harmlessly out of the system. The song burst back into life. Jedi Master Avar Chris fell to her knees there in the field on Hetzal Prime. Her lightsaber hilt, now deactivated, hit the ground a moment later, embedding itself in the soft soil. Avar let herself breathe. Two long breaths, then three. Then she raised her calling. Thank you, she said.
Neither Avar Chris nor any of the other Jedi in Hetzal knew that the events of those moments had been broadcast across the Outer Rim. The signal even found its way to the inner worlds of the Republic, though slightly delayed due to the limitations of the Galactic Communications Network. The signal was sent by Kaven Tar, working from Minister Eka's office in Aguirre City, still doing his job despite having the opportunity to leave on the Third Horizon. The broadcast was originally just a feed sent to the Chancellor's office on Coruscant at its request, tight-bent and secure, to allow Lena So and her aides to have the most up-to-date information on the disaster as it progressed to this final phase. But Kaven Tar made a decision. If these were to be the last moments of Hetzal, his home, and the home of billions of others, he did not want such a good place to die unacknowledged. He changed the settings on the feed, stripping out the security codes and sending it to every channel, every relay, every ear and eye it could find. This, in its way, was a feat of technology just as impossible as what the Jedi were attempting. In any case, the people of the Republic watched as the fate of Hetzal was decided. They stopped breathing as the Jedi came together to save these worlds, full of people they did not know. This small group of brave people risked their own lives to save others, and used their unique gifts to preserve, to help. A gasp of dismay rose on a thousand worlds as the first attempt failed, and it was clear that the Jedi had not succeeded perhaps could not succeed. Some looked away, not wanting to see the flare of light as the star exploded, followed closely by the death of billions of sentient beings. Others could not look away. And these people saw what happened next. The star did not explode. The people did not die. Across the galaxy, cheers of relief and joy. Yes, scowls from those who lived in darkness, hoping for the Jedi to fail, to be crushed, to die. But they were few. This was a Republic that valued and celebrated life, and those who preserved it. This was a victory. For this day, at least, the light had prevailed. It was over. Holy moly, with a side of guacamole. This was another thrilling part of the High Republic saga, and it was one for the record books. My excitement is off the charts as we dive headfirst into the mysteries of part four, and I am amped as a Wookiee who just discovered a big piece of meat. Every twist and turn in this story brings us to new heights. I see why they call it the High Republic, cause my adrenaline got me out of this world high, making our space odyssey even more complex and heart pounding. But wait, here comes the best part. It's time for the epic quote of this episode. So prepare yourself, because we're about to hit you with a quote that shines brighter than a double sun. Victor E. Frankel said, When you are no longer able to change the situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. So what does that mean? Well, let me explain. It's like when you are dealing with something tough that you just can't fix or change, no matter how hard you try. Imagine you are stuck at a job you don't like, but you can't find another job right now. Or maybe you are living somewhere that you're not too fond of, but moving isn't an option at the moment. In situations like these, the quote is saying that instead of trying to change the things outside of your control, you should focus on changing yourself. 
that can mean changing how you think about the situation or how you react to it. Like in the job example, you might start seeing the job as a stepping stone, something that helps you get by for a while while you plan something better. Or you could try to find small things in the job that you actually like or use the time to learn a new skill. It's about making the best of whatever you got. Sometimes life doesn't let us change our situations right away. When that happens, we got a chance to grow as a person, to become stronger, more patient, and more positive. It's about finding the silver lining or the good in a bad situation and using it to become a better version of ourselves. And I think that's all I have for this episode, my friends. I hope you had a blast diving into part four of Light of the Jedi, and I hope you will join me for part five, which is coming your way in a few rotations of the sun. So until then, may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel and was distributed by Swaycast Networks. The High Republic Light of the Jedi was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>